Welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. And I did want to talk a little bit this week. Well, there's a few things I was thinking about. I was thinking about um, why I'm doing this podcast as I'm preparing for some interviews. And I've been sort of thinking about that and researching um, questions I want to ask them and sort of getting into that headspace of having guests on the show because um, it's going to require sort of a different um, mentality, I think, for me because um, I, wa- I want it's not just about me. Ultimately, I, I want it to be a conversation. And, and I think that's that word conversation. I think I was really thinking about that in sort of one of my um, reasons for doing this. I think we're not having conversations anymore Um and I, I was thinking about either a book I was reading or a story somebody told me about, um, you know, back in the 40s. I'm not saying that our culture, by the way, isn't better than it used to be. I, I think we are headed in the right direction. I think um, technology has made our lives so much easier. Um, you know, I compared us to the 90s. In a podcast ago, or maybe two podcasts ago, and again, we have grown. We are progressing. Technology is helping making our lives a lot easier. But I feel like we're interpersonally uh, relationships, or our ability to communicate, um, our ability to trust, uh, intentions, our egos, uh, the. Um, the love that we get by posting something and getting likes on Instagram. I think we're caring about things that don't really matter or we're caring about the wrong things. And, you know, it's interesting today or in the last day, Kanye West, you know, he's been obviously in the news recently for his vocal opinions on Twitter. And the funny thing is, is that I actually think Again, similarly to Colin Kaepernick and how he's been making headlines in the news with his um, stance uh, with anti, uh, obviously regarding anti-violence in the world, um, Kanye West has been making a lot of news with his opinions on Twitter. But I find it interesting that the last couple records he's put out, I think, have been terrible. And I I think, um, let's see, the the last one that came out was called um, Yee. And then he also put one out. Actually, I don't even think Yeezus was particularly very good. I thought The Life of Pablo was okay. But I think musically speaking, he's getting worse and worse. And I think what happens when somebody gets bad at at their craft or sort of what they made a living doing, uh, if you're famous, you suddenly become really um, opinionated and and have a lot of opinions on different thoughts. Um, And everybody obviously is going to listen to what you're saying because you've already made sort of headlines as an artist or a musician or as a, um, um, I don't don't really know, it could be anything. Uh, But once you get that huge following, um, maybe it just goes to your head and you stop working on your craft and you start, uh, since you're not really good at being a musician anymore, you just start hitting Twitter and, and sharing your thoughts on the world. Um, so anyway, he made a comment the last day about how likes and follows is actually shouldn't be published on Instagram, uh, and it's ruining 
our culture. And in a weird sort of way, um, I agree with him. I think people are caring about um, likes and how many friends you have on Instagram and people pay attention to that um, more than actual content. And, and, you know, I was guilty of it also. Um, and this is this will get back to why um, I thought of creating this podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a yoga teacher and I would follow, I started following a bunch of yoga teachers when I first got onto Instagram, maybe three, four years ago. And I followed all these teachers that had, you know, 50, 100,000 follow, followers and and they were posting all these crazy, ridiculous upside down photos, doing handstands and um, like on, on, on cliffs and on buildings. And, and I feel like I was, I was manipulated in a weird sort of way. I was brainwashed into thinking that people who um, have 100,000 followers must be really great at something or um, they, must be, um, they must know what they're talking about. And I went to some of their classes, and I realized that they weren't particularly very good teachers. Um, and even by me saying that right there, you know, in the yoga community, you really can't criticize anything because that's considered sort of un-yoga, uh, which I think is not sort of another problem that's happened in our culture. You really can't criticize anything anymore uh, because then people will just say that you're being negative or you're a bad person and that, you know, everything, especially in yoga, I mean, yoga is sort of all about, you know, love and, and, and welcoming no matter what you're going through. And, and, and I guess, I think that's good to an extent, but um, it's okay to not like something. I, I, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's okay to, um, to not be liked. And, and, and I think Kanye, while it's never probably going to happen where likes and friends and how many you have on Instagram is going to go away, um, I, I think back to my original point, we are, we are caring about things, uh, we're caring about people's opinions that um, really don't matter. Um, I, people are committing suicide because they're not getting friends or getting enough likes on their Instagram page. And um, it's, it's, it's sort of crazy what's happened. And um, so while I don't think Kanye um, has made a particularly very good record, and I don't really particularly find his opinions interesting, um, I do think his thoughts on likes and, and, and Instagram does make a lot of sense. It's funny because... Um, people who depend on likes and follows for like their self-esteem and to feel good about themselves will, would probably hate the day that Instagram would get rid of um, the like feature or, or displaying how many friends you have. Because people actually do sort of, their ego, um, they get off on knowing that they have like 100,000 followers. And um, I mean, sure, that's a lot of people. Uh, and if I had that many followers on Instagram, uh, I think it would be great to know uh, that what I'm posting that many people are seeing, um, but we're getting tricked into thinking that these people are um, actually all incredible people. We just we don't know. Just because somebody has a hundred thousand followers doesn't mean that they've got some sort of revolutionary idea or they're amazing people that you should just respect and trust. And the reason why I brought up my yoga example was is that I did think that, you know, somebody who can hold handstand or uh, or has 100,000 followers on Instagram must be a great yoga teacher. And that's just not the case. I mean, every, I still think the best way to um, find a great yoga teacher um, 
or, or it could be a physical therapist or, or, or a plastic surgeon. I'm actually having a plastic surgeon on the show in a few weeks. But um, yeah, I think Instagram can introduce you to things that, that may perk your interest. Um, but I think people are placing too much value on Instagram as sort of the end-all be-all of, of what makes something really interesting or good. Um, the best thing to do is to meet a plastic surgeon or go to a yoga teacher's class um, you know, five, six times and, and experiment with what feels good in your body and what feels good um, just because somebody has 100,000 followers doesn't mean they know their shit. So um, sort of that's, so back to what my originally was saying about having conversations. I think in this day and age now with Instagram and, and people always on display and people not being comfortable if somebody doesn't like them or if their opinion is different than uh, other people's, we sort of shiver or, or we, we freak out if somebody doesn't like our post or like us or, or, or like our opinion or if our opinion is different from somebody else's. We, we don't know how to respond. And those are normal things. It's okay if somebody doesn't like you uh, or if somebody doesn't like your post or somebody doesn't find you funny. Um, ultimately, Instagram, I think, is making up for deep-rooted insecurities that people have. I mean, people ultimately, if they're not getting what they want in their real life, uh, if they're not getting enough people to uh, respond to what they're doing in real life, uh, they put on a display on Instagram to get to make up for it, um, to sort of even out the deficiencies that they're feeling in their lives. Uh, I'm not a psychotherapist. I have friends that are therapists, but there is a reason, I've said this before, why more people need therapy and there's more addiction uh, than ever before because there's more insecurity than ever before. And then people turn to Instagram to, uh, instead of going to therapy, talking about it, talking about their problems because they're scared that people will think that they're like uh, a big wuss or something because they're insecure, they have anxiety. Instead of doing these things, um, they turn to Instagram to feel better about themselves, which is freaking crazy because Instagram is sort of this cesspool of um, people uh, trying to manipulate you to try to make you feel like their lives are perfect and uh, any you know perfect or they have the answers for you. So back to the original point that I made here about why I created the show and uh, I think the art of conversation is lost and and. Having a talk with somebody via text um, or through Instagram, although it's instantaneous and uh, it it is a way to communicate to somebody, um, it's not the same thing as actually sitting down and having a conversation um, over lunch or uh, and even at lunch or dinner. You'll you'll look around and you'll you'll see people are. Although they're at dinner or at lunch, a lot of times people are staring at their phones throughout lunch. And it's almost like um, if somebody, if you can't, it's okay if you don't talk for like five minutes. If you're at dinner or lunch for five minutes and you're just sitting there kind of eating and hanging out and not talking, it, it, that's a normal response. It doesn't mean that one of you is boring. It means that you guys are just comfortable sitting in silence uh, or that you don't have to turn to your phone every minute or two to be entertained. Um, I think the art of conversation, getting to know somebody um, over time, uh, is lost or it's going away. And 
again, I think having conversations. So I, I want to, you know, it really, it, it allows you to get to know somebody and, and know if you may like them or not, or, uh, or know or hear their opinions about different things. And uh, people are basing um, their opinions about somebody based on how their Instagram profile is. And if they like, if they look good or if they say interesting things. And I, I think I want to create a show where people get to hear others communicate about how they use Instagram or how they, you know, want to get better at their craft, whether it's plastic surgery or as an actor or as a musician or, you know, how they use Instagram or what they're really like. Uh, and I, and it's funny, I've, I've, I've noticed that some people are actually scared to come on the show. Um, now I can't, I can't totally know why, um, but I think it's scary for people to, uh, and, and I'm not going to be an asshole when I talk to people about on my show, um, but I, I've had this sort of sense, and I'm not, I'm, I, I don't want to make the comparison yet because I've only been in three, I've only done three episodes, and that would be too sort of narcissistic of me to um, compare myself to somebody that I'm thinking of. But I have noticed that people are um, a bit trepidatious to come on the show. Uh, because I think it's easy to hide behind the mirage of Instagram or behind the mirage of social media. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I really, is, I brought up Sam Jones in his interview show um, on the Audience Network and, and Jerry Seinfeld talking on uh, Netflix about, you know, talking with fellow stand-up comedians. And I found those shows, although interesting, um, it did feel as though, specifically with Sam Jones, and this happens also with interviews like on The Tonight Show, it's obvious the PR person is involved. And we all know that. I mean, nothing is is um, is spontaneous on these shows. Uh, the PR agent talks with the interviewer, and they all talk about what they're going to talk about. And uh, it's very rare that we actually find an interview where... Um, the person sort of just drops their guard and talks about some of their thoughts without an agenda, uh, without um, trying to manipulate you or try to get you to think that they're that they have everything you know figured out. And that was sort of one of the genius things about Howard Stern. I I don't listen to him as much ever since he went to Sirius, but he had a way of of making people um, drop their guard down and open up, and and I think. I'm not trying to be a psychotherapist here on the show, but I just want to create dialogues and conversations with, with people. And and I also think people in my life um, are actually pretty interesting. And I think they're all um, not, not, I think the ones that I'm thinking of uh, will, will be interesting to talk to. And I think we can learn a lot from them and hopefully they'll inspire you. Um, Cause I, I think, I think, there's a lot of amazing people out there in the world, obviously, but we aren't hearing about them because what we're paying attention to are the loudmouth, attention-grabbing, self-absorbed people that are all over Instagram talking about themselves or showing off their bodies or you know creating a personality that sort of stands out or seems interesting. And um, I think 
it's really that type of person isn't really that interesting and that deep. And and I think, uh, or maybe they are, but I'm just not interested in in sort of somebody who's just using Instagram to show off to some in some regard. Um, there's so much more uh, going on behind the scenes other than the persona that people are portraying um, on Instagram. So hopefully, um, by creating some interviews and talking to people who knows, maybe in my small little circle, it'll grow a little bit and, and people will start actually having real conversations. I read, there's a couple topics I want to talk about today, but I first want to talk about, um, and this is going to be challenging to talk about because um, I did a lot of research, and I'm a, bit, I'm a bit overwhelmed by it all. But I wanted to start out by reading. I'm going to read to you. Um, I feel like Mr. Rogers. Uh, uh, the book is called The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains is, is the title. And I read it a few years ago, um, or maybe a couple of years ago, but then a friend of mine suggested it to me again. And I picked it up, and I haven't finished it, but I did want to read um, a couple passages to you, which I find really interesting. So in 1964, as the Beatles were launching their invasion of America's airwaves, Marshall um, McLuhan published Understanding Media and transformed himself from an obscure academic into a star. Um, the book was a perfect product of the 60s that now distant decade of acid trips and moonshots, inner and outer voyaging. Understanding media was at heart a prophecy, and what it prophesized was the dissolution of the linear mind. McLuhan declared that the electric media of the 20th century, the phone, radio, movies, television, were breaking the tyranny of text over our thoughts and senses. Our isolated fragments and selves, locked for centuries in the private reading of, pr of printed pages, were becoming whole again, merging into the global equivalent of a tribal village. Um, and then let me read this next part too, which I also found interesting. What both enthusiast and skeptic miss is what McLuhan saw, that in the long run, a medium's content matters less than the medium itself in influencing how we think and act. Wow, I'm going to read that again because I think that is a really big deal. What both enthusiast and skeptic miss is what McLuhan saw, and that is, in the long run, a medium's content matters less than the medium itself in influencing how we think and act. As our window onto the world and unto ourselves, a popular medium molds what we see and how we see it, and eventually, if we use it enough, it changes who we are as individuals and as a society. The effects of technology do not occur at the level of opinions or concepts. Rather, they alter patterns, patterns of perception steadily and without any resistance. The showman exaggerates to make his point, but the point stands. Media work their magic or their mischief on the nervous system itself. We're too busy being dazzled or disturbed by the programming to notice what's going on inside our heads. Wow. So this is a national bestseller, a New York Times bestseller. It actually uh, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, 
Um, I'm surprised anybody actually read it because, as you know, most people in our culture don't read anymore. Um, I mean, I'm being somewhat facetious, but um, I do sort of believe that. And the reason why I bring that book up, you know, of course, that's sort of, I talk about um, Instagram and how we sort of are paying attention to people that are really loud and obnoxious or showing off their bodies all the time. And we're not really paying attention to um, depth or interesting um, content. And so I also bring this up because I was thinking about Netflix this last week, um, thinking about it a lot. And, you know, I just saw the second um, season of Ozark and um, I, I brought up maybe on Facebook and a post maybe six months ago, or maybe it was on Instagram, that I I think creatively we're not as good as we used to be. And, you know, my uncle who's been listening to my show, um, he thinks what I'm doing is really great, but he, he thinks that creatively speaking, you know, we're, we're better than ever. And, you know, I think in little pockets, there's artists that will come out and, and, and put out, you know, a great record or a great book or a great movie. Um, and I, I'm suddenly, because of my talking right now on the air and thinking about Netflix and Ozark, I know I've just recently saw a couple amazing movies, but uh, for the life of me, I can't remember them. So back to my point. Um, so I watched um, the second season of Ozark and I loved the first season. And the second season, it's, it's starring Jason Bateman and Laura Linney, and, and I don't want to tell too much about it. But I did find myself pretty bored, I, or I found it to be unbelievable, I guess I could say. Um, the writing, the plot points, um, the, the, the story felt pretty unrealistic to me. And, and when you're dealing with um, drugs... Um, the cartel, um, deception, there should be sort of a realistic quality to the show. And uh, like Breaking Bad to me was one of the best television shows I've ever seen. Um, top five by far. Um, every, I mean, of course, they had their few episodes that weren't particularly, you know, very good. There was one episode about a fly, actually, where a fly is literally flying around. Um, the meth lab um, throughout the whole episode. And that was what the episode was. And to me, that was just such a filler episode. But anyway, um, so I was really thinking about Netflix and, and Ozark. And Netflix is making up making a, a lot of news this last week because they won or they had more Emmy nominations than HBO. It was over 100. And it's like the first time ever a network or, or any, I don't even want to call Netflix a network, but I guess you should say it's a Netflix, uh, it's a network. First time HBO has um, been beaten for the nominations. And of course, Netflix won a lot of um, awards. And Netflix is spending now, I just read this, $12 billion on creating new content. They're going to try and develop, um, I, it's, I think, 80 new shows in the next year. There's, they, they spend $3 billion on marketing. Um, and they're going to be on, on just the shows and they're going to be spending, um, I'm sorry, they're spending between seven and eight billion dollars on shows, and they're going to be uh, increasing their marketing to two billion dollars more this year. Um, and this is really funny. 
Um, I want to read this to you also. So Netflix chief executive Reed Hastings um, would actually rather not spend any money on marketing at all. Our sort of holy grail dream is that the service was so good at promoting the new content in such relevant ways that we wouldn't have to spend money externally. This is where it gets really good. So Greg Peters is Netflix's chief product officer, the man in charge of optimizing the streaming site's recommendation algorithm that encourages people to watch more shows, while Kelly Bennett is its chief marketing officer who's responsible for spending that cool $2 billion budget. So think of it as there's a little bit of competition between those two to see who can drive the growth of the company more effectively. Netflix spent a million dollars. So Netflix has this algorithm that they created. And the algorithm basically is to help them figure out which shows to recommend to you after you watch their show. So what shows show up on your screen on Netflix, it's not just random. It's not blanketed the same way for everybody. They specifically have an algorithm, much like Facebook and Google and Amazon. They all have these algorithms. It's, it's not really a newsflash um, on how you should, on what shows may interest you next, which I find so interesting. But they spent a million dollars for a contest or competition to see if somebody could develop an algorithm that out- Algorithm. What's the verb? It's not algorithize. There's no such word. That basically out um, um, that outperforms the algorithm that Netflix came up with. Now I don't know if if somebody if the algorithm they're using now is the one that somebody came up with that outperformed Netflix um, Netflix's algorithm. But this is really just just it's interesting to me. Um, they're spending, and I went through um, a bunch of news is reading about Netflix and the amount of money that they're spending um, to strike deals with Paramount um, and, and all these studios and, and the Weinstein company to, to um, you know, obviously create more content. And so back to my, my point about Ozark, um, I think if you pay attention to the show, like I do, like I, I, I place a, I have a really high standard when it comes to maybe that's part of the reason why I don't use Instagram or, or I don't buy it so much. Um, I've always had a high standard of taste when it came to movies and and television shows, or I I, I consider myself to be pretty objective. I, I I don't like to. I'm aware I'm aware when I feel as though I'm being manipulated, and it's it's something I've I've always sort of been aware of, or I've been more in touch with recently. And so Ozark, I noticed very cleverly, cleverly, um, most of the episodes at the beginning, now I will admit, I I really liked the last two episodes, nine and 10, but it almost felt as though they know that people are binge watching. So the content doesn't have to be as good. As long as there's like a nice twist at the end of each episode, that is enough to sustain you to keep watching because they know that um, the, the vast majority of their shows are being binge watched. So they don't have to get too hung up on interesting um, storylines, interesting um, 
you know, development in the show, um, it's really about sucking you into their into their brand, into their network. And I do find it ironic that the CEO of Netflix is also a board member of Facebook. And, you know, Facebook is obviously all about trying to get your attention. Um, Instagram is owned by Facebook, and obviously Instagram is all about trying to get your attention. And in Netflix, their growth is bigger than it's ever been. Yet back to the shallows, um, I don't think the content is getting any better. I think it's getting worse. When it started out with House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, um, obviously I thought House of Cards was a great show. But I think Netflix um, became bigger than they ever could have imagined. Um, their, their subscriber growth, and I don't want to bore you with numbers, but I, I did look at it sort of all day yesterday. But of course I forgot. It just it keeps going up exponentially. And um, people are... Basically, it seems as though between Facebook, Instagram, and Netflix, um, primarily that's what people are doing most of the time, all day. <laughs> They're not, um, and and so back to the why, why I think creatively we're we're not as good. So there's this saying where um, Netflix has created a specific style of show where um, they know how to write a show to keep the viewer engaged. And it's more about little cliffhangers and making sure the last segment of the show or the last episode of the series is really interesting or sort of a jaw-dropping twist, um, that that will be enough to sustain you. And it's not in, in every... Ep- this is the thing. When shows used to come out every week, the quality had to be amazing because um, you, you didn't have the chance to binge watch and watch the right the next episode right then and there. You had to wait a week. And I do pay attention. It's This is so interesting to me. You might think I'm overthinking this, but the Emmys did come out with a new series or a new category in the last few years. And it was called um, Original Miniseries. Basically, these are shows that only um, last a season or... Um, somehow American uh, Horror Story became part of this. But um, Big Little Lies, The Sinner, Fargo, um, Godless, these are all, um, and this one that just came out called Sharp Objects on HBO. That category right there is the category of show that I pay attention to because I think the stakes are higher for the writers on those shows. Um, Although Godless was... um, released on Netflix, and it sort of gave me faith that um, Netflix could actually produce a show that is really high quality, because I do think the quality of their shows and their programming has gone down. It's obvious to me that they're more about growth and um, plot twists and keeping people obsessed with Netflix than they are about actual storylines. And I I did research Godless a while ago, but um, I, I, I can talk about it next episode. Um, but there, there's a reason why Godless was so good. Um, and, and I think about shows like The Sinner, which came out um, with, with uh, Jessica Biel, and Fargo on FX. And um, I, I think the shows uh, and Big Little Lies, that was just one season. Of course, they're talking about bringing it back, and that's a whole other story. Um, but shows that require... That, that can't be binge-watched, where it's once-a-week type of a show, 
Um, The stakes are higher for the writers. They have to write top-of-the-line stories week in and week out that keep you wanting to come back because they are competing against Instagram, Netflix, Facebook. They know that people are staring at their phones all day. So it has to be that freaking amazing because in that week's time, if, if, if it wasn't that interesting and it wasn't that good, then over that next week until the next show comes out, people are going to be distracted by other shows, by Instagram, by Netflix, God only knows what, and they're going to forget about that show and move on to something else. And so Netflix knows like once you're on there, they want to keep you on there as much as they can. Uh, similarly to Instagram, it's the same sort of um, idea. It's like once they have you, they don't want to let you go. And of course, when you see, um, when you do watch a show on Netflix, you notice when the show is over, right away, within, I think it's seven seconds now, that next episode moves on and starts playing because they don't want you to leave. They want you to stay on there. Uh, They do not want you to leave Netflix. And I'm back from my, uh, my, my rant on Netflix. You know, again, I, I, I like Netflix. Uh, I, I think some of the shows are really good. Um, but it's become clear after, my, um, after watching Ozark um, that they're spending a lot of money. They just signed a deal with Ryan Murphy, who created um, The Voice, and American Horror Story for FX, and he also made uh, the O.J. Simpson show. And it's, Ryan Murphy to me is kind of interesting. I could, I could talk a, a, another show about him, but um, I have mixed feelings about him. I should do some research because, um, like American Horror Story on FX, the first season of that show was one of the scariest, most entertaining television shows I've ever seen. Um, it blew me away. And it was Jessica Lange, Dylan McDermott. It, it was just a great show on so many levels. But now the show is like up to season seven or eight. And it's, it's become so obvious that... And here's an example of a show that comes out every week that, that I just... I don't think the, the content's really good at all. It's not very creative. Um, it's not scary. It's not... It's just not good... Um, Lady Gaga, he put on a season or two ago, and and she was terrible. Um, and again, it, it it's obvious that they're about um, the not the content anymore, but just pumping it out and making money and grabbing your attention. And and when the actual story isn't very good, then they rely on the violence, um, um, the sex, um, the raunchiness, the over the top um, blood that can be displayed in the show and very similar to Instagram. You know, um, we're in a culture now of, of what th- when um, the, the creators, when they run out of gas or they run out of ideas that are interesting, um, then they resort to the shock value. And that's that's been the case for so many years. I mean, you know, Friday the 13th and um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, that's not a new um, idea. 
The interesting thing, though, and I was thinking about Marilyn Manson. You know, he's he was um, he's a musician, and there was all these stories about him being the Antichrist, and his music videos are crazy. Um, he was he apparently these are stories, but I I read the memoir on him that he would you know urinate on stage when he was performing. Um, he was pretty crazy. But the interesting thing about Marilyn Manson, I actually thought um, that he was pretty good. Although I didn't, um, I couldn't sit through one of his records all the way from beginning to end. Um, he was a genius at marketing and, and being out there and wild to grab your attention. Um, but I actually thought he was talented. He, he uh, was a multi-instrumentalist. Um, I thought some of his songs were interesting. The lyrics were, were raw and the production value. I know we work with Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, uh, who's you know one of my idols and one of my favorite musicians of all time. I don't have a problem with somebody or something being in your face um, or you know um, disturbing or, or loud if they can back it up with actual um, interesting content and really good talents. But what's happening now, um, because it's really hard to be good at something. It, it takes years to practice. Uh, but the combination of impatience, Instagram, uh, what's happened now is, is that people are um, being loud and trying to get your attention and you know, saying, you know, fuck and shit and, and showing off their bodies and being crazy on Instagram. But when you strip it away, um, they're not really all that talented, and and that's the thing. There, you know, it's it takes a lot of work to be really great at something, and um, and and you know, I can when I say something like, oh, the the art or the creativity isn't as as great as it used to be. Um, I remember a couple years ago in 2016, it was such an interesting year for music because so many huge artists released records. I mean, there was Rihanna, um, there was Kanye West, um, Bon Iver, Jack White, Glass Animals, Drake, Radiohead, Beyonce, uh, Kendrick Lamar, um, sort of that untitled uh, B-side record. Um, I, I'm just Richard Ashcroft, James Blake, but it was interesting. It was an interesting. I remember specifically that year, and I almost feel like um, around that 2014, 15, 16 stage is when the shift happened, and all this technology started to affect the creative output in our culture. Um, because most of those records that came out that year, I when you two came out with a record um, around that time, Tame and Paula, one of my favorite bands, came out with a record in late 2015. And the interesting thing is, 2014 is when Netflix started to create their own original content. Um, I don't know. I just it's so interesting to see the shift, and 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 that's the thing. We think that Instagram uh, and the internet, the, you know, these things are the internet is great. Technology is great. It makes our lives easier. We have access to things so much more quickly. Um, but there is an effect, and and we're naive to think that staring at your phone or the brain shifting and becoming obsessed with these things is not having an effect on your creativity, because it does. I think back to, uh, I saw the, um, the documentary uh, about Jimmy Page and Jack White, and I know there was one other guitar player in that um, 
documentary. But anyway, back in the 70s, they, they had this amazing footage of Jimmy Page showing um, the room or the house where they recorded um, in the evening. Uh, or no, When the Levee Breaks. That's right. If Go listen to When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin. And the drum sound in that song is surreal. And I remember, it's funny, I, um, I didn't know Led Zeppelin too well, but my uncle bought me the box set, box set when I was, um, I think, 13 or 14. And um, these were CDs at the time. And I listened and I specifically remember that I remember becoming more in tune with the sounds of drums. And that's sort of when I started playing the drums when I was 12. Um, but anyway, so listen to When the Levee Breaks. First of all, it's an amazing song. But the sound of the drums, uh, it, it's so surreal. And sure enough, they recorded them in this huge lobby of this home where the ceiling is raised super high. Um, and he goes into detail, Jimmy Page, about how they used the mics to record it. And um, I, I don't know. I just, I think, you know, imagine... So they didn't have any distractions back then. The only distractions they had um, led up was like women or drugs. Um, but you could argue that those two things are really inspirational for a musician. Um, Instagram, you know, so back then they had themselves, their, their, their gear, um, women and drugs and alcohol, and they sat around and they wrote music and they freaking recorded some of the best music ever. Um, nowadays there's, you know, drugs and alcohol and whatever, but I wonder if these bands that go into the studio now, and I, you know, I recorded a record four or five years ago and yeah, I, I would sometimes have my phone with me, but other times I would keep it out in the car and, and just not have it around while we were recording. So my point is, is that I do think that, um, there, there is an effect on your creativity if your phone is with you while you're in the studio or if you're writing a book and I make sure to try not to have my phone with me while I'm writing. If your phone keeps buzzing every five minutes while you're singing a song or playing guitar, of course that's going to have an effect on how you play or your creativity. And I just found it interesting um, that year, 2016, Radiohead put out a record. Radiohead's like one of my favorite uh, artists of all time. They released Moonshape Pool and, excuse me, I'm just trying to get my glasses here. And I, I thought the record was terrible. It, it Compared to all their other albums, I was just totally bored and uninterested. And, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't say that on, well, I guess I did probably say it on Facebook, but I almost feel like people can't be objective anymore in this weird sort of way. And, um, and, 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 um, you know, James Blake put out a record. I, I thought it was really bad, except for one song. Glass Animals is one of my favorite bands, or their first record I really liked, and I didn't think it was particularly very good. Um, and this isn't hating. This is this is. Sometimes I think people also are scared to say that something isn't good because they're going to hurt somebody's feelings or they have too much at stake. Um, um, Kendrick Lamar, who I love, he put out that B-side record. Uh, it was called Untitled, and it was a record of like eight or nine songs. I thought one of them was good, maybe two. I thought the rest of it was pretty much not good at all. Um, Jack White, who I really love. I loved him in White Stripes. He put out a record that year. I didn't think it was good at all. Beyonce, though, she put out a record, and Rihanna actually put out a record, and Anderson Pock put out a record. But Beyonce put out an album that was freaking amazing. 
and it it was um, it was refreshing. Uh, and, and when Kendrick Lamar put out "Damn" uh, like a year ago, it was also refreshing because I think it's harder than ever now to put out an album or a movie or a piece of art that really blows people away because the culture now, and I think musicians and artists are also dealing with this well, um, we're constantly staring at our phones um, and we're not putting in the hours that it takes to get really good at playing the guitar or writing a good song uh, or making a good movie. I think Quentin Tarantino's movies were amazing, Reservoir Dogs, um, Pulp Fiction, but even his, oh, I really liked Inglorious Bastards, but I even felt his films, the last couple, haven't been as good. And I realize it's really difficult to keep putting out good work. Um, U2, one of my favorite bands. Uh, also, the latest record I did not think was very good. I think there's one song, Summer of Love, that I really like, but all the others I, I could sort of not listen to again. Um, now, of course, there's a natural... Uh, progression as an artist. It's not easy to keep putting out an amazing album after an amazing album. That's almost impossible. But still, Instagram and our phones and technology, although it's making it easier to record music, it's getting in the way of um, the actual music or the content being very good. It's much more difficult now. It takes more time. It takes more discipline to Keep the phone away, keep the distractions off so you can actually focus on making good work. Welcome back. So last segment here. last segment here for the day, um, I wanted to talk about birds. Now, birds are these scooters that um, have taken over Los Angeles and a lot of cities across the country. Birds are, um, as I said, scooters. And this is, I want to give you a little background really quick. Um, oh, hi, Nellie. I knew it was a matter of time before a cat would walk in. So Bird's CEO is named Travis Vander Zanden. He used to work... Um, Nelly, come on. Uh, Nelly, stop it. Come on. Go away. Go away. So um, Travis Vander Zanden is the CEO of Bird, and he used to work at Lyft. And then he... Because uh, he worked at a company called Cherry, and then they were bought by Lyft. And then he moved to Uber... Uh, and then, of course, it's interesting, but Lyft sued him for um, breach of um, non-disclosure agreement. So I don't, for whatever it's worth, he's already been dealing with, he's already dealt with one lawsuit, so what's another? So what's really interesting about Bird's business model is they just literally, you wake up one day and there's like these scooters all over the city. Um, he did not contact the city beforehand to get a business license. He just um, decides to, he's got billions of dollars behind um, these companies. Major investors are investing in these scooter companies uh, and, and Lyft is creating one. Um, Uber's getting into the mix. 
Um, and I think the concept behind Bird is great. The idea that people could ride scooters around town and not, um, you know, be in their cars. It could be good for the environment, could save you money because they're not very expensive. Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, again, I, I talk about it, but we can't handle all this technology. We don't know how to do, we don't know what to do. So the CEO of Bird is irresponsible because he just like throws all these scooters all over the cities without getting permission. And he's just sort of like, okay, you guys just figure it out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get people really hooked on these things and I'll deal with the consequences later and I'll just, you know, apologize and we'll figure it out. Uh, But what happens is that people, you know, there's no training with these scooters. They're, they're, I've literally almost hit them in my car at least 10 times because people are riding them on sidewalks. They're riding them the wrong direction because people are scared to ride them in the streets, which makes sense. I wouldn't want to ride one of these things in the street because, you know, they can go 15, 20 miles an hour. Uh, cars can't see them. Cars, people are looking at their phones. They're trying to, the best part of this is they're mostly in Santa Monica. And if you haven't been to Santa Monica recently, Santa Monica on the weekends is insane. There's pedestrians everywhere. There's skateboarders everywhere. There's bike riders everywhere. There's walkers. There's so many cars there. I was I had a gig there a few weeks ago at the Viceroy, and I was leaving, and I saw these scooters scooting along, going really fast. And sure, one of them gets hit by a van, and you know I stop and um, check to see if everything's okay. And and she's really hurt, but everybody was around her. And anyways, the point is, is that people are getting hurt. Uh, there was just a news story where somebody just got killed riding one of these scooters. Um, um, San Francisco has banned them. Beverly Hills has banned them. Um, and, and Santa Monica, they were banned for a while. I don't know if they're back, uh, being, being used, but people don't know how to handle technology. We, we, we're getting obsessed with Instagram. Um, and then when these birds come along, the idea is great, but people are riding them without helmets. They're riding them on the sidewalk. They're going in the wrong direction. Pedestrians are getting hit by, by birds. Um, and the great thing is in Santa Monica, because some people are so fed up with them that they literally are grabbing them and throwing them in the trash cans. They're throwing them in the oceans. Um, it, it's, it's, it's sort of kind of insane what's going on with the birds. And I think, um, uh, oh yeah, another. This is great too. An Indiana burglar robs somebody's home and then uses a bird scooter to get away. Um, a Santa Monica man just two days ago was arrested for alleged, allegedly riding his bird drunk. So apparently, um, he was uh, inebriated in a car. Uh, he saw a, a checkpoint ahead of him. He, so he gets out of his car and then he gets into a bird and decides to drive the bird uh, drunk. And the, but the cops stop him anyway and 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 uh, write him a ticket. And so, you know, the policemen are already freaking busy as hell. So now they have to deal with all these birds all over the place. Um, apparently somebody was killed in Washington uh, riding a Lime scooter. Lime is a, is a competitor to bird. So, you know... I love the, the, you know, we have these great ideas. Um, obviously, you know, Netflix, uh, Facebook, Facebook started out just as sort of a college platform. Um, sorry, I dropped my glasses. This is a college platform. Um, you, you know, Facebook just started out as a college platform for students to stay connected with one another. But, you know, we, we get obsessed. And of course, money gets involved and Facebook wants to make a shitload of money. Um, you know, we have these great ideas, but we don't know how to handle them. 
Um, scooters are going all over the place on sidewalks. People aren't riding, wearing helmets. And I love how the CEO just, you know, his, his policy or his strategy is, you know, I've got all this freaking money. I'm just going to pour all these scooters without getting a permit from the, like what business do you know just starts their business without getting a permit? You know, only a um, Silicon Valley, I'm being judgmental here potentially, but to me, only somebody from Silicon Valley with like a huge ego with a, and a boatload of money um, has this sort of audacity to just, you know, do whatever the hell they want. And it's like, oh, here, I'll just uh, put a bunch of scooters all over the place without training anybody, without contacting the city, without telling people. And of course, you know, before riding a scooter, you have to sort of sign this little, you know, agreement, uh, basically saying that you've read all the rules and uh, you, of course, agree to wear a helmet. But nobody wears a frigging helmet when they ride these scooters. I mean, maybe, you know, five out of 100 people I've seen wearing helmets. And so he, their policy... Uh, is basically just drop them off. I'll apologize, and we'll deal with it later. And and of course, I'm really happy that you know. Um, of course, I don't. I'm not happy that people are throwing these scooters in the ocean or the trash can. But you know, San Francisco banned them, and so these other scooter companies have sort of proposed their plans with the city, and San Francisco is slowly okaying it, and they're allowing a slow rollout of the scooters where uh, I think it's a couple hundred, eventually the goal of maybe having a 1,000 or 1,200 in the city. Uh, and they're not allowing Bird or Lime, uh, specifically Bird, to keep using scooters there because they don't appreciate how they just dump them on the city and it's sort of like, you guys just figure it out and we'll deal with the consequences later. Um, and I, I don't know, I think that attitude has sort of taken over our culture a little bit where you know I'm just going to do what I want and uh, I'll deal with the consequences later. And, I, I, and it's sort of similar to the people that are riding these scooters. They're just like, whatever. And, and the best thing is, is I see when somebody's riding a scooter without a helmet, their earphones in, so they're listening to music. Um, they're going the wrong way on the sidewalk. They're avoiding pedestrians going everywhere. Um, and it's just, it's, it's hysterical what's going on with the birds. And my family was out here and um, they were riding them for a little bit and Look, they're really fun, um, but when I told them this, but I told them the story about um, what happened in Santa Monica, where I witnessed somebody getting hit by a van on a bird, and and they knew, like they're researching the story of of birds, like they knew that um, Beverly Hills has banned them until further notice. It's it's an interesting story. I'm I'm curious what's going to happen with them, um, but I, I I just I think the way they were unloaded onto the city. Um, it's just that that attitude of just I'm just gonna do whatever I want. I've got all this freaking money. I've got billions of dollars. I'm just gonna I'm not gonna tell Santa Monica or LA. I'm just gonna dump them all over the place, and you guys can figure it out later. And then the attitude that people are just kind of doing whatever the fuck they want with them, and just riding them here and going wrong directions, and and of course people dumping them in the ocean. I, I don't know. It's just it's been an interesting and funny sort of um, story that's come out over the last I guess year in the city. So uh, I just wanted to give you my random thoughts on the bird. I'm, I, I should have a weekly segment on birds and talk about sort of the uh, evolution of what's going on. So um, I guess that's that's probably it for this week. Um, I did get a visit from Nelly. Leo is not to be found anywhere. Um, I will probably release this podcast this week, but I, I do have a few interviews. Basically, I have a, um, I have, uh, a yoga teacher slash actor 
scheduled. I have two yoga teachers, like really incredible yoga teachers that are scheduled after that. And then I have a plastic surgeon, one of the best plastic surgeons in Beverly Hills scheduled. He's become a friend of mine that I've met at yoga class. And also um, an amazing DJ is coming on the show. So a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, Again, fourth episode. I believe this will be the, well, this is the fourth one I've recorded. I don't know when I'm going to release it, but it'll probably be released in the next week or two. Um, But thank you so much for listening as always. Um, It's been really fun. A lot of great stuff is happening and people are really getting stoked about um, these podcasts. And uh, I'm really excited about them as well. And um, thanks again, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Um, More coming at you soon. Have a great day. Then today I woke up with the goddamn